This is the one with baby talk. The Benny Hill theme. Some horny Danes. The great god Yo Yodin. And a Heidi who doesn't like it high. It's called The Girl Who Died. Here, Here we, we go. We're still on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Hello, ladies and gentlemen of Pakistan, and welcome to another fantastic, amazing, exciting, wondrous, magnificent episode of <laughs> Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or dog past. Episode may or may not be magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, guys. This is going to be our best one yet. Maybe. I don't know. Might not be. Anyway, what are we reviewing? It's called, we've just said it, The One Who Died. Oh. No. <laughs> She's got a gender. <laughs> that one. That woman. That bloody old girl. She's died. She's, you know. Oh, what is she like? What a long what? title. <laughs> Again. That's the first draft. <laughs> yeah, and one, the on this two, two. That girl, that old woman. <laughs> I'm still, uh, you know, feeling it out, seeing what's best. <laughs> believe it would be N122, the girl who died. Very sad. So, Such anyway, yes, so, the rest of the intro. Who's with me tonight? On my top is the man in green. Oh, it's me, Drew McWen! <laughs> I say the top of my screen. <laughs> and on my bottom. <laughs> Ooh, it is I, Leon. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Leon. Podcast Land. Hello, Drew. Hello, Marie's bottom. <laughs> And I am Marie. You might have heard that already. That's it. That's the whole team. That's it. That was the girl who introed. Thanks for <laughs> listening, guys. <laughs> so let's talk about the episode. Top level. Who liked it? Who loved it? My hands <gasps> in the air. I oh. really liked it too. Yeah. Go, oh. Marie. Yeah. To go in. Do you want me to do a little bee scow? Work out what this whole thing's about. Work out just how much we like it. Oh, what a marvelous suggestion. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lurbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Fresh from buying a planet, one extra day of terror. Doc crushes a love sprite that had a crush on Clara. Then makes an emergency landing on the nearest patch of grass to wipe it from his boot. But there are silent warriors lurking in this particular forest of the night. Vikings! The Valhalla pining Valkyrie fanciers bind them in chains and march them to their village. But halfway through Twelve's tried and tested hypnosis by Yo-Yo, the great god Odin appears in the clouds and promises the butch half of the populace a VIP pass to paradise. Capaldi Vord hides his way out of immediate peril, but pocket tinderbox Ashildir chuckles Dothir manages to piss off the man-juice-chugging general of the Mire, giving the exasperated Doctor 24 hours to train his raw rejects into a badass brigade of bearded bug-beaters. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone have a pressing question they would like to begin with? Or an observation, perhaps? It doesn't have to be a question. Drew, start us oh, off. I was got anything to say. 
about this episode that we all love. Okay, fine. I'll start with a teeny tiny bit of just an observation that made me smile. The 2,000-year diary that Capaldi is reading, uh, which used to be the 200-year diary. Oh. He has aged. He's graduated. Who had the 200-year diary? Uh, Trampton. Oh, that's nice. Hmm. Oh, I like that a lot more now. I thought that was a bit underwhelming previously. But since they just added a zero instead of coming up with a lame concept, I like it. Yeah. I'm hoping not to have to bing-bong a correction to myself there. (laughs) 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 I've just started doubting myself a little bit. (laughs) How about I orient us with some facts? Mm. This is The Girl Who Died. It's episode five of series nine. It was written by Jamie Matheson and Stephen Moffat. Do we remember who Jamie Matheson is? No, but I remember thinking this name rings a bell. We have encountered his work before, have we not? Jamie Matheson is our new favourite chap. He was the one who wrote Mummy on the Orient Express and Ah. Flatline. Ooh. Uh, What a dude. And here he's teamed up with The Moth to deliver an episode first broadcast on the 17th of October 2015, watched by 6.56 million viewers, which I mention not because of some tedious motivation for gradual statistical creep, but because this was the most watched show of this entire series. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think it speaks to the enduring simple pull of Doctor Who meets the Vikings. I mean, what more do you need to say? You also have uh, What's Her Face from Game of Thrones in it. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like Maisie Williams is probably a big draw as well. Oh, you think? How long had Game of Thrones been going by this? I guess it must have been going two or three years. Well, certainly yeah. long enough to... I mean, she got this part because she was the Game of Thrones person. Ah. Uh, she's I would say With, like, the young people. Maybe she brought a whole new audience to Doctor Who. Yeah, maybe. Well, well apparently she did. The numbers don't lie. So did Jamie Matheson write the previous ones on his own? Yes, this is his first and last co-write so far. His first and last moth dive. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> How did you feel about, uh, I've already forgotten her name again. What's her name? A Shielder, Maisie Williams. Maisie Williams, yeah. Well, how did you feel about, well, her character, Shielder, yeah. I think in the beginning she really bugged me because she was so, like, wide-eyed and innocent and, like, she's playing very young and when you kind of know what comes next and what her character will become, it just feels like this. they're trying to juxtapose this episode with the future episodes. But, yeah, I think as it went along, I grew to like her more and more. Oh, hang on, you've just sparked a post hoc introductory question in my brain. Are there no one other kids in this village? There's the baby. Yeah, but there's like just a whole bunch of grown men, a baby, and one kid, like one adolescent. I don't, I can't work out are there even women in this village? Yeah, yeah, there are a few women. Oh, okay. Not as many as there should be if half the guys have been sucked up and turned into juice. And <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying is the women that left don't outnumber the men in any way. You barely notice them because they are hardly there. Yeah, that's very mm. true. It should be like a female-led army because all the men have gone. This is that uh, Viking take on three men and a baby. This is a if, if 50 Vikings and a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Tom Selickson, Ted Danson, <laughs> <laughs> and the other one. Who's the other one? It's a police academy guy. Steve Guttenbergson. Yes, exactly. Well, maybe the the women had all been raided. That's why the men are out in the forest. They're trying to get them back. Oh, okay. Yeah, I. all right. Although I thought, they, no, there should be more women. The Vikings are the ones that take the women from Ireland, typically. I mean, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, learn your history, Jamie Matheson. Is this the first time that we've had Vikings in New Who? I think it might be. I, I assumed it was the first time they'd had Vikings at all. They no. Had a classic who. There is a classic Who serial called 
Shields, the time meddler with the meddling monk. The first, the, the well, like the original meddling monk episode. That's with Vikings. That's in 1066. Okay. Mm. And you know what? I'm going to have a look at a screenshot, but I have a feeling that the main Viking in the time meddler had headgear very reminiscent of fake Odin. Mm-hmm. Mm. But without the... Without the, yeah, the, like digital eye patch thingy. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to have a look at that in the meantime. Yeah, ish. So it could be a nod. You've already said how they've taken one Troughton uh, prop and updated it. Yeah, certainly. And uh, Capaldi is wearing the Troughton trousers in this one. Uh, that explains it. Yeah. I did like his trousers. I noticed he had different trousers on. And they, they have a, a bunch of shots, don't they, where he's standing far enough away for you to see them plainly. Mm. We spent a lot of money on these trousers. We recreated them exactly Jim was very stressed out by the Viking helmets because to be like historically accurate, they didn't use the horns on the helmets. Apparently that came in from the opera when they were showing Vikings on stage. They thought they'd be more visible with like a big... Oh, really? Yeah, but it's not like actual Vikings never did that. And he thought that Doctor Who should be more historically accurate. I thought that it was quite nice that they showed a a rune stone that had been painted as opposed to the way that we see rune stones today. Yeah. Uh, and the way that most people picture runestone in their head. Like, oh, yeah, nice. That was a yeah. nice detail. Mm. So they kind of made up for it, okay. <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what? I, I was really impressed by the village in general. I thought the village looked yeah. freaking spectacular. And I love the fact that there was a boat in the process of being built. Yeah. That was a really weird. cool prop. Yeah. But they'd, fi- like, they'd finished the headpiece, but the boat was still like a skeleton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone has been to an exhibition to find that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> While we're speaking about Viking historical accuracy, did you know that Abby's uncle is an expert in the field of Viking studies? Really? What? Yeah. And he is convinced that the Viking sort of law code was the basis, the forerunner, of the Albanian oral law code that was only codified much more recently. The Albanians don't like this. They're like, ah, we came up with it ourselves. We, we don't need any Vikings to have told us what to do. But um, I'm... I'm saying this now so that 20 years from now, when they all accept this and it's scholarly consensus, we can say, who back when you second? (laughs) Oh my goodness, we're going to get a mention of the Wikipedia page. I'm looking forward to this. I also really liked pretty much all the Vikings. Mm. I, mean, I liked all the little nicknames he gave them. They were really cute. Yeah. <laughs> Chuckles, Lofty, ZZ Top, Heidi. <laughs> Limpy. <laughs> Limpy, was, Limpy was great the way he held it back. It's like, guess what? There's more to the joke. Yeah, that was really good. I mean, maybe that doesn't necessarily speak to historical accuracy either. I mean, like these were really jovial types. <laughs> these weren't like, oh, you know what? We go out and we kill and we rape and we steal. But... Yeah, I liked him. I was like, wait, hang on. Wait, historical accuracy. Electric eel? What? (laughs) They just have like this weird battery farm. (laughs) Uh, uh, But the doctor does say, pull the silvery stuff out of Clara's spacesuit. It will magnify the electrical field. Yeah, eels plus time lord technology. Yeah, they didn't leave that for you to pick a hole in without seeing you coming, Leon. But why were all the eels in kits anyway? Exactly. Were they using them for electricity or is it just where we keep our eels? They didn't have electricity. There's no electricity. They didn't use them for electricity. This is what really bugged me about it. Why do you have... Wait, 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 wait. What? (laughs) Okay, in brackets, I really like this episode, okay? But, like, close brackets. What? (laughs) (laughs) I'm 
I'm fairly yeah, sure that if you fresh. leave eels out to dry, yeah, exactly, you keep them fresh this way. If if you just leave them on the grass, then they're going to waste away to practically nothing and oh, go moldy. Slither back home if you leave them on the grass. Yeah, yeah they'll the, turn into snakes exactly. the second they hit the ground. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Okay, hang on. Here's another anachronism. Why does Ishilda have... I mean anachronism? There were eels around in the 10th and 11th centuries. <laughs> no, like, here's another anachronism as opposed to like, oh, these were like really rather <laughs> pleasant, jovial, non-rapey people. But like... <laughs> A range of people. That's why they weren't the best warriors because they were too amiable. Oh, you know what? That's yeah. I've been lawyered. That is. Yeah, you. Yeah, you guys are totally right. I concede. However, here is what I would term an anachronism. Why does a shilder have a beautifully decorated, perfectly leather-bound tom in her tent? Oh, her dream diary. Yeah. They had leather. Why can't she have a leather-bound? I don't think the. I'm not an expert. But I don't think that the Vikings had these beautiful, like just gorgeous, perfectly bound tomes with gilded edges and like jewel encrusted covers. Did Sorry. you not see her puppet? She has she has many skills. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Well, I mean, her puppets. Let's be honest, they sucked balls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They suck balls because she lacks the skill to build themselves. Exactly. To make them themselves. But what do Vikings do except ransack monasteries? Oh, that's true. Steal their gorgeous illuminated manuscripts, which shit, Drew, several you're on... hundred years ago would look a lot better than they do today. You were on yeah. fire. Yeah, quickly. Join law school. <laughs> Apply now. <laughs> Second lawyering of the episode. <laughs> there is a great Crazy Ex-Girlfriend song that explains in great detail why I should not become a lawyer, so I won't be doing that. If you can make it to series four, that's one of the good ones near the end. <laughs> You'll be rewarded. <laughs> is it a tough slog to get to series four? I mean, it gets patchy. Oh. It's still good. It's fine. Whatever. She's not really selling it. Maybe I'll just YouTube that song. <laughs> we tried. We watched most, if not all, of season one, and it was... I don't know, there's a lot of singing in it. That's the point! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I went to a musical, and goodness, too many melodies. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't they just talk? <laughs> yeah, no, just use your words. You don't have to sing everything. Yeah. Okay, here's another question for you to get us back on topic. Hmm. Not a question, an observation, sorry. World's most verbose baby. Yes, yes, <laughs> Like... Especially compared to how he's portraying the Vikings is really, really stupid. Like, he treats them like they're so dumb. I'm like, I'm just going to fool you with this yo-yo and you'll think I'm a god. And then the baby's, like, coming out with poetry. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the most lyrically talented. Is there a smile out there in the world beyond yours, mother? Yes, is there other kindness? I don't speak baby personally, so maybe that is what they're saying. But it seemed like, like, where did this baby learn that from? Like, th- this baby clearly was also stolen from elsewhere because it did not learn that from uh, what's his face, uh, whoever it was, Chuckles, Lofty. I think Doctor's given a lot of poetic license, so the baby's probably saying, "Smile, mama, smile, poop, fire, yeah. mama, water, sky, <laughs> mama." Translation isn't just about the literal words, is it? It's about the urgency and the feeling and the emotion. Come on, Leon, you're a 
linguist. You should know this. I mean, it's a positive because I thought it was a really comedic element to this episode. You thought it was comedic? The doctor <laughs> plays completely straight. Or Capaldi, I should say. Yeah. He's, okay, I mean, it's not slapsticky. It's not comedic in, in the episode. sense that what's being conveyed is fun. But I think it's a fun contrast to the rest of the episode and to the seriousness and the, all like, the literal bloodshed around us. <laughs> There's this baby who's just like freaking Petrarca <laughs> in a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a contrast. I think that as the Doctor connects with the baby, that is what then enables him to connect with a shielder later on. I think there are parallels. The baby's all-consuming relationship with its mother is a sort of mirroring of a shielder's with the only environment she's ever known. And the purity and the force of their connection to what they know the Doctor is able to contrast with his own experience and he eventually comes to respect that. And well, that is what prompts him to give a shield of the thing and set up the rest of the series. All starts with the baby. Beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, beep. Hello, law school? Yeah, I've got a candidate for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was probably my biggest problem with this episode. Maybe not biggest. We'll see what else comes up. But okay. Capaldi's Doctor that we've seen so far is so callous with other people's lives and people die and it's just oh that's a shame get like move on and even like the beginning of this episode it was like you know I can't save everyone and then like what was it about a shielder that made him go and use this thing that he's had this whole time he has the ability to make people immortal like all of the companions that have traveled with him for years and that he's mourned over the loss of them why have, have none of them deserved this that is in my notes <laughs> <laughs> one girl that he's just met that yes holy moly i mean it turns out immortality is the easiest possible thing to attain yeah. <laughs> and by the way clara never goes uh excuse me can i ha i have one of those please <laughs> you have a spare <laughs> could you not have given one to my dead boyfriend yeah yeah this whole oh my god yes we couldn't bring danny back from the dead but we can bring this rando viking girl back from the dead yeah with technology that is less sophisticated than my own yeah and we can give her a spare so whenever she decides to buddy up with someone she's got yeah. a buddy for that yeah exactly oh clara don't worry about it you don't need one uh, by <laughs> the way there are more helmets more random helmets stuck in this room <laughs> there wasn't just a pair of helmets that they stole there were at least three i think that they stole so like there's a third thing there's a third thing give that to clara yeah, he's or like just in his back pocket. Po yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, he pops it in his pocket. Maybe, maybe he'll meet a companion he really cares about. Mm, zing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that is a point because the whole message at the end of the episode is him saying to Clara, "You know what? You're actually like the person I would save. I believe." That's basically what he was saying, and then he goes and then he goes and saves someone else. And I know Clara's not dying, but it's this like preventative thing that you could go into any dangerous situation. Like every week, he's terrified that she's going to be taken from him you wouldn't have that fear you'd just know that she'd be fine and the thing will patch her up and would you know though i mean do you want to see her be practically obliterated every week i mean that's that's going to be painful to endure i think he'd rather he, he thinks i'm pretty good when i have the bejesus scared out of me and i think she's gonna die I, that's worked for me so far i'm gonna i'm not gonna mess with that <laughs> it ain't broke <laughs> 
But but he hasn't had access to these Maya medical kits before, so it's not like he's had one all the time while Amy's come and gone. And and that's true. But now he that he about. has had access to one, surely he can at, at the very least now he could sort of reverse engineer it. I mean, oh, he's he capable could, he of could. reprogramming it. And by the way, if he's like, oh no, I I think I may have just created an immortal. Like, oh, what a bummer. She's going to be super lonely. Better give her one of these spares. Could he not just have reprogrammed it to only repair her once? Yeah, just or, to say or not once, just just for a limited number of decades. Yeah, exactly. Uh, put a put an end date on it, like Apple iPhone. It yeah. <laughs> this chip Bring will it. die after three years. You know, programmed obsolescence. <laughs> Oh, and by the way... Oh, sorry, Marie, go for it. No, I was saying what, she sh- what he should have given her is Captain Jack's phone number. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> Go and be immortal together. <laughs> yeah. Just, just fuck until the universe collapses around you. Yeah, which is slightly problematic because she will forever be in the body of a child. Oh. Yeah. She's, she's that, like, cusp of, like, she's, like, Maisie Williams is an adult. She's... She's a grown woman. She's yeah, okay, grown. but yeah, okay, that's true. But in this episode, she's meant to be a kid, right? I don't know. Do they? Do, they never say what her age is. No, they don't. I would have pegged her at sixteen or seventeen, maybe. I think I would have gone like nineteen, twenty, maybe. Okay, I think I range. think it's. I think it's 16 tops, and uh, I can give you a couple of reasons why. Actually, you know what? I'll give you one really big reason why. It is the girl who died. It is not the woman who died. It is the girl who died. No, but they do that all the time. It was like, well, it was the girl who waited. Oh, and the impossible girl. And the impossible yeah. girl, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that's because true. Because we see the, we see the um, episode title coming, we think, oh no, what's happening to Clara this week? Yeah, and the, intro, the intro was Clara hanging eight, hanging upside down yep. which mirrored the when Mir- Missy had her upside down I was thinking yeah. that as well and this was so much better <laughs> and then zoomed out and she's in space and oh my god she's floating in space and oh my god there's a there's a spider alien attacking her and about to eat her and blah 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 and so yeah you totally think Clara's gonna be the, in the danger zone so danger zone <laughs> <laughs> But it was nice that they went another way because Clara's always in danger, and it's always like it's nice to yeah. introduce a different concept. I, I have one more. So, Leon, it, oh. to lawyer you just one last time. Oh, okay. <laughs> if she is stuck as a girl, yep. how can she next week be the woman who lived? Because at that point, she has lived four centuries. So, mentally, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, she has matured. I see none of these adverbs in the title. <laughs> Okay, okay, so I have one more observation regarding the second chip. Okay. They don't know that it has made her immortal. As in, like, the, the Vikings don't know that she's become immortal. She doesn't know that she's become immortal. Oh. Limpy is there. If he just gives, like, here, it's not for her. It's for, like, she, she gets to choose someone. What if she wakes up before she's been, you know, shot in the face with an arrow and then pulls it out yeah. and realizes, oh, shit, I'm alive. What's to stop her from just giving it to someone who's injured or just anyone? Well, this this is the point where she loves these men. These are her whole world. This is my family. I can't imagine life without them i'd rather die than be away from these hills and these valleys and blah 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 yeah like of course she's gonna give it to one of them and then she's gonna like in a thousand years she's gonna really regret she's got this hanger on that she, like she's out yeah out all right all right come on limpy it's like, i'm not limping anymore yeah you're li- <laughs> fuck off <laughs> you're <always gonna> <laughs> go elsewhere <But> yeah, <laughs> 
pissed me off because I um I think I'd completely forgotten that he knew what he was doing. I thought he maybe patched her at one time and then as a consequence she lived forever and he didn't realize it. But the fact that he absolutely knew what was going to happen and just wandered off without a care in the world, didn't wait to explain to her, didn't wait to like guide her through it. He just said, "Oh yeah, I'm sure I'll bump into her again." Us immortals, we're always hanging out. There's like an immortal bar where we just go. And <laughs> the immortal bar. Imagine that bar, by the way. <laughs> it's like the doctor, the master, a gigantic face, and a little girl. <laughs> just like hanging out, knocking back shots. <laughs> How have the last 2,000 years been for you? I don't know, I've just been hanging around the bar. <laughs> Hasn't been as much fun since they prohibited smoking in here. Oh, fucking hell. But I've got really good at pool. <laughs> face of bowl, like, just looks at them like, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be really good at pool. <laughs> yeah. We told you you're the referee. <laughs> Can someone just please pour my shot into my giant tank? <laughs> <laughs> Swimming in beer. <laughs> So do we get to encounter her a lot going forwards? Because I can think, I mean, we get to see the next time on, obviously, that's her. But otherwise, I can only think of the, possibly the, it might be the same episode in which she goes off on her own adventures. But we also get to see her at the end of time or at the end of the universe or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Aside from that, is she going to be a recurring character? She comes back at, like, Clara's end as well. Yeah, don't they? Isn't that the thing? Don't those two go off yeah. and have their own unproduced spin-off? Yeah. Yeah, still to be written. <sighs> Marie, how's your uh, Lancashire accent? <laughs> I mean, probably most people can't tell that apart from Yorkshire, so I think I could get away with it. Audiobook! <laughs> Just say <laughs> <Number> eight. <laughs> it's going to be called Bar of Immortals. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, Clara gets to be there, too. Yeah. Oh, so th- oh, right, of course. So that's the second chip. It'll be like Clara's dying. Oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to put this chip on your forehead, Clara. Is it, though? Because the Doctor Stasis locks her. I thought that was yeah. all that happened to so her. So what happens to the second chip? She ne- I, mean, I think she never uses it, or we don't see her use it. I'm assuming she gives it doctor. back to the Doctor. Oh, she might, yes, because she was like, this is, I, I've experienced this. This is an absolute curse. How mm. could you possibly think I would subject someone else to this torment? Mm. I thought that was quite well done at the end with the, even though it was cheesy as balls. It the, was cheesy as balls. I know which bit you're talking about. The, <laughs> pan around her with the stars and the sun rising and yada yada it's super cheesy but it was a nice effect but as in the the nice thing about it was her facial expression changing yeah. but aside from that it it i couldn't stop thinking of the corresponding scene in twilight <laughs> <laughs> oh, well that's your own mistake because i didn't think of you'll that you'll have to you'll have to inform us leon because i haven't watched twilight so. oh well you've dodged a bullet in it's in Four one of bullets. the yeah i, I <laughs> I don't mind admitting, I watched all of them, and they were shit. Yeah, they were all terrible. But it, they're hilarious if you watch them as the crap that they are, and they pair really well with the corresponding episodes of How Did This Get Made. But there's a scene where, what's her face, uh, Kristen Stewart is just, like, sitting in a chair, and the camera pans around her as the weather changes outside. And that's what I kept thinking about during this scene at the end of this episode. Like, oh, damn you, Kristen Stewart, you've ruined my Doctor Who experience. Oh, no. <laughs> Because that's what's wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a minus for this episode. Kristen Stewart. I'm rating it down for Kristen Stewart. <laughs> oh, I 
I don't know. I, I really liked the the swirling. First of all, the stars and the galaxies spinning, and and then the sun arcs across the sky going up and down. I I, I it looked a bit CGI, but I thought it was pretty enough. It was pretty. It was a beautifully done effect, as in the actual special effects of it were gorgeous. Now, how about that dragon? Oh, well, I like the dragon. Well, I mean, they blew their CG budget on the final shot, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> The dragon was barely better than Olivia Coleman's hanging from the ceiling job. A bit more scaly. That's true, actually. It's very similar. And fake Odin calls it impossible. Now, these guys have waged war across the galaxy, and they haven't ever come across a big reptile with a long neck? Uh, yeah. They seem to give up very easily. Like, they, they didn't even, no one even tried to attack the dragon, did they? No, well, I think they sh- they fire at it and the shots just go straight through it because it's just mm. uh, an illusion. But it, it, two things bug me about that. Number one, can they not detect that that is in their system? Because she's using their software against them, right? And the yeah. second thing is, everyone teleports out. Those aliens look badass, by the way. They teleport out. Fake Odin is left there. They t- turn off the hologram thing because she dies inside the helmet, I guess. And then mm. he doesn't just immediately summon his men again. They're not blocking <laughs> his radio. He even teleports out of there. Like, wh- why can't he just go, hey, guys, it was uh, it was a boat. <laughs> Come back and piss him off. <laughs> now, they're too busy getting a change of underwear. They've taken half their uniform off. <laughs> Do I have to? These things, things take a l- <laughs> They just leave that helmet on and none of their greaves and leg armor. They're just going to topple. <laughs> I guess that Capaldi does say that they've hijacked the um, teleporter thingy. Oh, yes, that too. Okay, so how about this? He teleports out of there at the end and then bombs the shit out of the village. Yeah. Problem solved. One little mobile phone device, you could just, yeah. Yeah. He's not going to have time to plug it into the, what was it, galactic mainframe or whatever it was. Galactic hub. The galactic hub, yeah. I'm I'm assuming, by the way, that there's like five USB ports floating through space. It's like, hey, if you don't watch it, if you say a word, if you come back here, I'm just going to go and plop it in. And the first time he plops it in, it's like, oh, damn, the USB is upside down. No, it was the right way up the first time. How does this happen to me? And then he blows into the USB port. Come on. It's always the same. Stupid galactic. Always space dust inside my space USB. It's really difficult. And also, he only has one eye, so there's no depth perception. So he keeps, like, trying to hit the wrong USB. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk a bit more about fake Odin? Oh, yes, please. Fake Odin harvesting boner juice from around the galaxy. (laughs) Yep. No, no, it's, yeah, it's not. It's not bone juice, Leon. It's nectar. It, he's he's just like straight up chugging testosterone. It's like space Cialis, but then mixed into Red Bull. <laughs> that's what he's chugging. It's so revolting. <laughs> and also, by, by the way, that's a fake face that he's chugging it into. That's not his yeah. face. Well, that was going to be one of my questions because maybe you guys didn't notice or maybe you did. He's played by David Schofield. Wait, that name rings a bell. Who's that? Who's David Schofield? He's been in Pirates of the Caribbean. He was in An American Werewolf in, or is it London or Paris? He's, he's a darts player. London. It was in The Gladiator. Yeah. It was in The Adventures of Paddington. Oh, oh that guy. Oh, I did not recognize him at all under the fake beard and stuff. So he's had a rich and varied career and he knows how to act. My theory is that he was told underneath 
this well underneath your face you're a bug and <laughs> you're represented by a hologram and it's complex and it's not particularly good so move your lips around <laughs> an awful lot so they don't quite sync up with the words you're saying he is doing <laughs> a lot with his mouth it's really distracting and the only way i can spare his blushes is to think that that was deliberate like that was a giveaway that he's not actually got that face hmm. clever i didn't I pick could... up on that no otherwise the only other explanation he's like the new who version of soul deed just <laughs> overacting <laughs> to the billionth degree possible every single line he's given equally plausible <laughs> supposed to be like he's acting like a god like wouldn't you if you would if you were acting odin wouldn't you overact like wouldn't you be the biggest and the boldest and the brightest version of odin you could be <laughs> that's uh, also very true yeah you don't want to be a dreary odin you want you want to have some fucking presence you gotta have some panache someone's gonna believe you if you <laughs> Hi, uh, my name's Odin. I'm, yeah. I'm actually pretty cool once you get to know me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy who had the idea for the horns. <laughs> uh, by the way, like just looking at David Schofield's IMDb image, he looks like an older, wizened Do Grey Scott. Yeah, he does, actually. He could... I want those two to play father and son in something. But, yeah, absolutely right. Do Grey Scott. He keeps coming back to who back when, that guy. Oh, oh no! Dude. David Schofield is also sitting in the uh, in the audition room, in the waiting room, to audition for the role of Do Grey Scott. <laughs> Do you remember when we had the oh, Do Grey Scott no. thing? <laughs> <laughs> David Schofield is walking very confidently into the waiting room and then Dugray Scott sitting there, he's like, fuck, turns right around and just leaves. <laughs> like, I know I'm not going to get this one. I want a time travel adventure about him where he travels back in time and meets his younger self, played by Dugray Scott. There we go. I'm done. <laughs> I'm sorry. But with more hugging. I hope that either David Schofield or Dugray Scott is listening to this. Fuck it, I'll tweet him. <laughs> <laughs> they are the same guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so was no one else bothered by the overacting? I'm with Marie on this. I think it's like it's exactly the level of theatricality that you would associate with someone who is purporting to be a Viking god. Yeah, but he's only doing it this week. He's going to turn up on a planet, do some research on the primitive religions there, and he's going to have a completely different holographic visage there. Yeah, and he'll speak a different language, and he will maybe not even have lips to <laughs> over-enunciate with. True, yeah. Go do your research if you're going to convince the locals. Yeah. Oh, that is some classic David Schofield stuff. <laughs> no half measures with Dave. <laughs> So interesting tech, though, an interesting idea. I mean, the actual plot, as in his bad guy plot. Is this what all the Maya do? Does every Maya ship have a dude in charge and they just go from world to world and, and eat people's, you know, turn people into dick juice? Couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, how long are they supposed to have been there? And how many of the Vikings have gone to Valhalla? And at some point, wouldn't you look around and think there's only the farmers and the fishermen left? They've taken all our best man. Oh, that's interesting. I got the impression that this was the first time. No, because when the doctor turned up with his yo-yo and was like, I'm Odin, they were like, no, clearly this guy in the sky is Odin. Like, they, they all were aware of him. They weren't scared of him. If he'd just turned up, you'd be a bit freaked out. Oh, I read that very differently. Drew, oh. what, what's your opinion on this? Well, my opinion is when you've got 
got a guy with a yo-yo and a Monty Python god in the clouds, you go with the cloud option. Yeah, exactly. But do you think that... Uh, I'm? Yeah, I agree. But do you think that they didn't take Doc seriously because they had seen Monty Python god before? Because I think it was just coinciding that Monty Python chap appeared at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the Doctor is completely underwhelming. They play it for laughs, how underwhelming he is. When he's, when he's fumbling with the yo-yo and he's saying, don't be fooled by this... Whoops. <laughs> it's meant to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. I love. I don't think you were paying attention. I'm sure somebody was like, he was like, I'm Odin, and um, so you're not Odin. Like, no, you're not. For one, you have a like, body. <laughs> and they point at the sky and they go, because that's Odin. Like, ah, I, I missed that. Yeah, I thought that they were like comfortable with him being there. Wouldn't you be a lot more freaked out if God? True, you believe in God. If yep. God just appeared in the sky before you if the clouds parted and there was this massive like Jesus face you'd react a little bit more than they reacted don't you think I'd be fairly dumbfounded I'd be like oh really now okay (laughs) (laughs) I mean I guess I'll find out why later I wish I'd worn a a different pair of pants (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even wearing my best shoes for this that's why you should always wear your best shoes that's true that's right change (laughs) actually wait I'm gonna stay where you are Stay where you are, God. Stay where you are. <laughs> and, they, and they were like, yeah, come on, we're going to go to Valhalla. And they were like, oh, sure, okay then. Like, they just, they they knew where to go because it had been done before. Like, he picked off the best warriors that were left, but I assumed that it had been it had happened already. Oh, I see. I didn't think that at all. I think that their behavior after having been brought to the spaceship was just like, I mean, it's super, it's alien to them, like, on many levels. It is something completely yeah. different to them. They think that they've just died. They've just been plucked from what they consider to be life in the village and they're just suddenly they've appeared in this strange cavern and yeah they must have died they must be in Valhalla plus Odin just told them that they would be because those particular ones have not been obviously there before like yeah. different Vikings were taken last time yeah but why and would you you're on the ground and you're like oh wow yeah they went to Valhalla that's so cool I want to go next and then this group went and they all think they're going to go to heaven or Valhalla Oh, I don't think so. I'm with Leon. I really don't think that's right. I don't think they were like, look, doctor, because... I can tell you're not Odin, so I'm going to guess you're a doctor. If you wait just five seconds and I point at this cloud, a guy with horns and who looks like we all imagine Odin to look will appear. I, I don't think it happens in that order. I yeah, think it's I don't think so either. And I also think that if this is not his first time collecting Vikings, that it is definitely his first time collecting Vikings from this village. You're right. Like, why would he go back to the village to collect any more people because there will only be fishermen and, uh, you know, the blacksmith. That, that's it. So he would go to different Viking townships and collect the warriors from there. Do you think that was his plan, just to like go to all the Viking villages? That's a really good question, because I, I wonder if this is another case of, you know, like, all of the planet is one place. Which is a, well, it, it's not, because the Doctor makes the point that humanity is not in danger. Like, the planet is not going to die if we don't save this one village. But the thing is, if you don't stop them for this one village, then why wouldn't they go to the next village? Why wouldn't they just keep doing this and because word yeah. spread i think these guys are actually really cowardly first of all if you were an army with any self-confidence you wouldn't be chugging all this juice time and time again thinking about what you lack you would just go out and start slaughtering people so if for instance if the danish 
king had his army assembled, I don't think these guys would want to take them on. I mean, they did run away from the dragon. They have been trading off their reputation. They've built up this story, which they are petrified of losing because they know how bad they are. And when Clara says early in the episode, ah, I've made you afraid, haven't I? And he's like, no, you haven't. I'm, I'm definitely not afraid. And I doth not protest too much. It's, I think it all hangs together. Also, the, the soldiers themselves don't get any boner pills. It's just the dude in charge who chugs the dick juice. That's the only... He's, he never does any fighting. What's the point of him drinking the Cialis? I mean, he wants to be a huge... Like this a tremendous warrior, but he's the general. Yeah, he, he waves his arms forward. That's all he does. But in a very manly way. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you should see those forearms. So, we haven't talked about Clara. Oh, Marie. A Clara correspondent. <laughs> I don't always have to start when we talk about Clara. I don't, I don't know what to say about Clara this week. I thought she was good. Yeah? I thought her best moment was the baby talk moment, where she says to the Zoxa, Ah, you just changed your mind. And you think for yeah. a second that it's because of how well she knows the doctor and she can read his face and everything. But actually, it's because the baby stopped crying. The baby can sense danger. Now the baby knows that the doctor's staying. The baby knows they're out of danger. And Clara's put all that together really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really nice moment. My favorite Clara moment was when the doctor said, hands up all those who've actually used the sword in battle. Yes, uh, mine too. Expecting nobody else. And she's like, <laughs> hello. They have such a nice little just exchange. They're, they're almost yeah. like, a, a, do they just nod at each other? They wink at each other or something? It's it's just a fantastic, almost surprise. Like, really? Yeah. Oh, really? You yeah. too? He's like, really? <laughs> it's so yeah, good. Really. <laughs> so, have we seen Clara use a sword while she's momentarily been left elsewhere by the Doctor? Or has she used this on Earth somewhere? Like, just in her regular life, before the Doctor even came along? <laughs> In a regular life. I sort of imagined it was just one of those stories that we haven't seen, but they've been off exploring. And Yeah, I'm guessing that as well. But I much prefer Drew's other theory. <laughs> she gets separated from the Doctor more than any other companion, I think. She's always just wandering off on her own. And I guess she was a general when Matt Smith was fighting Mr. Clever, so yeah. Yeah. M- maybe like she her. teaches at night school. Hey. Oh, Leon! <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the other Clara moment I liked was when her and Ashilda had been taken up. They'd had this little discussion with the big bad guy and then they got dropped back on Earth. And Doctor's like, oh, you've solved it then. Shall we off? And I love that he just had that much confidence in her that she would have just fixed it. And now the aliens are on the way. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> We've declared war. <laughs> She was totally badass up in the spaceship. Yeah. I mean, if Ashilda hadn't have dove in, she would have saved the day and they would have just gone on the merry way, probably. Yeah, I would suggest that she isn't totally badass, though. Oh. In that scene. Because I think she's doing a really good job of conveying, barely holding her courage together and keeping her composure. Mm. Like, she's looking at the aliens going by and there's a bit of surprise in her reaction as the Maya goes by, but she suppresses it and she is in a very intimidating, threatening situation, but she is mastering this spunk-guzzling general in front of her. And, <laughs> and whereas in previous episodes, Marie's had perfectly correct interpretations of her behavior, and I've been like, I didn't see it at all. It was completely under the surface. Here I think she balances the two sides really well. 
Mm. Um, she's also proved how well the doctor has trained her because that's exactly what he tells when he's like building up this army. He tells them, be confident, be- like make the other side believe that you can win and then they will be afraid of you. And that's what she's doing. She is projecting confidence, even though she is scared. And then that's how you talk them down. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. My note for that scene is just, a shielder's an idiot. <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> a little bit maybe she, this is like a little 16 year old girl in front of these like aliens that you've never seen like why would you jump in and declare war on them like how stupid do you have to be yeah and well, she's she still stupid. Think- she, she's fired with the lust for vengeance she's just learned that half of the people she's ever known the good ones <laughs> are now the juice in the tube that he's necked i mean you'd react <laughs> as well wouldn't you yeah, but yeah, but maybe with maybe that's just the Viking in her. I'd like to think that maybe the three of us would exercise a little bit more caution in that situation. Yeah, maybe like, not oh, Marie. Well, Marie is descended from Vikings. Oh, that's you know what? That's true. I hear that. that true. <laughs> so, Marie, you should really be speaking to whether a shield's reaction is justified here. I think maybe it is actually. I think when we're backed into a corner, we do we do uh, lash out. I love it. <laughs> Me and the girls, we get a bit feisty. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Leon, you were saying something. Oh, I don't know what it was. Okay, hang on, wait, hang on. Another Clara thing, I'm just looking at my nose. Another Clara thing is, why would she choose that exact moment to run over to a shielder and get her to help her out of the shackles? Doc is like, don't make a a move, don't do anything. It's not like they're approaching a shielder either. Like there's, she doesn't have to go there to protect her and she doesn't have to be unshackled in that particular moment. A shielder has the sonic glasses or half of them. Yeah. So she's that. But my question was, why does she need a shielder? Why wouldn't she just take the sonic glasses and do it herself rather than trying to explain to this young girl yeah. oh you need to throw the word open surely that takes longer than just saying give me those glasses <laughs> oh I didn't even think about that I was thinking about like why not just ask Doc to do it because he got out of his shackles uh, on his own yeah true yeah and what better way is there to look weak and abject than to be shackled yes exactly yeah don't draw attention to yourself yeah true the other point where she ran and got a shielder was when they were all in the room about to be zapped and everyone's trying to uh, open this door over here or the wall's coming in at you and they're trying to stop this wall coming and Clara has this moment of realisation and she's like, we're not going to be able to stop that. There's a door at the other side. Let's go and try and open that door. I know. I'll grab the feeblest, weakest, like, 16-year-old girl to come and try and help me, like, with her (laughs) bare hands wrench this massive metal door open. I won't grab these big strong viking men they can't help me so yeah so i don't i don't know why she particularly went for a shield at that time to like it's not like she ran over on her own and a shield she definitely wants to save a shield as well but you're absolutely right she should have gone like hey a shielder come with me you huge burly man come with us yeah with your sword that you can maybe use for leverage exactly yeah underneath those concealing clothes a shielder is a she-hulk because (laughs) she's constantly just carving huge statues out of tree trunks dragging the tree trunks back to her hut huge crap statues yeah she's she's lifting enormous tomes that none of us maybe marie with her viking blood could lift but we wouldn't stand a chance she is ripped under there yeah 
I think it was um it was a bit of a feminist statement as well. It was like we don't need these these guys, these super strong Viking men. We can save ourselves. Um, yeah, I think I would have taken a big strong Viking guy with me to, open the door, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's Feminism. like Ashila, stay here. Be a distraction. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I do remember not liking her character later on, though. As it, I, I mean, I haven't rewatched those episodes since they first aired, but I remember her character really getting on my nerves. So, like, with that force, like, with, with, with the knowledge of that, with that recollection, I might be tempted to just sacrifice her. <laughs> In this episode, like as a standalone episode, did you warm to her, or was your judgment clouded by future Ashilda? Or no, no, no. I, I, I did warm to her a little bit. Yeah, I thought she was a good character. Yeah, and I think you can separate the two because later on she basically says that she's forgotten centuries of her past, so she becomes a completely different persona. She calls herself something else. She uses a pronoun or something. Is it I it's, or me or her or she? Or it's something? me. Me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you can separate this out and keep a shielder as nice and unsullied in your mind but i i think that a shielder no i think that me i'm gonna make a prediction is going to be one of these characters a bit like danny pink that we didn't like at the time and actually we find out as we review it or we don't remember liking but then we review it again it's like actually there's a lot more to this there's there's a, there's a lot more layers a lot more basis that, than i realized before when i was just hating on her i think you're very right I'm going to go on record now and say that I really like her. Um, <laughs> and um, every time you, because she comes up a lot to say we haven't got to that part of the series yet. I'm sure you two have mentioned her before and said how awful you, like how much you didn't like that part of the show. And I'm sat there going, oh, I think I thought it was quite good. I know, I've so definitely I said that. Marie. But yeah, I, so I, I hope that I'm right. I hope that she's not as annoying as I think. Maybe it's Leon in particular has uh, made out. Well, my recollection is, you know what, I don't know if she was particularly annoying, or as in me was particularly annoying, but what I remember being really annoyed by was this sudden abundance of immortals, this sudden abundance of people who are completely unaffected by time in a, in a show where, I don't know, maybe it's just like, the, it's maybe a, a childish approach to Doctor Who, but like in my mind, like, I really only want the people who are traveling in the TARDIS to be unaffected by time. Like They're the ones who should experience everything. And it seems too <laughs> easy. You're just like, boom, face a bow, boom, me, boom, whatever, you know. Boom, there's been like six series of past. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if you compare it to Captain Jack, <laughs> like we haven't had that many. No, that's um, true. You're you absolutely right. In classic Who, you have other Time Lords as well. Like it's not yeah. just the people. But they're the time, they're other Time Lords. That's a different thing. That's like a whole species of people who have mastered time. I guess you've got River Song as well. That's another one true. Oh yeah. No, no. I mean, you guys are right. You guys are right. I am definitely wrong in this. I think mm. I, I will probably be on board with me, with the character of me, as long as I remember to. T- turn off the episode before they go off in the space-time diner. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh. But we'll crap on that in due time. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> um, I have another note about me and Clara. I don't really know how to bring this up, but I'd, I'd read, like, sort of fan theories and things and people saying before that they, that they thought Clara was presented as bisexual. And there's a line that... It, I can't remember where, like quite a few episodes ago where she's like said that, was it like Jane Austen was a really good kisser or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there was a line in this episode, because it's a nice scene, actually. So the doctor says something like, we're not going to, unless you happen to be immortal. And 
then a shield that walks around the corner. So there's a nice little bit of foreshadowing there that she's then going to become nice. immortal. Yeah. And then they have a little chatter about her. And then Clara goes, I'll fight you for her. And I just thought that was a cute little nod to like, I don't know. Just like, it's good to have representation. It should have more bisexual characters. And it's and I like that reading of Clara. I don't think it's, it's not like in your face. It's not really overt. But just to have these few little nods before then, we obviously do get a... Are you thinking like, of Bill? We get Bill later. Yeah. Yeah, That's sure. I, I never made that reading myself. No, I never did. And then once it was pointed out to me, I was like, oh, yeah, like there are like a couple of points where she does these things. So it's but it's nice that it can be read either way. And it's but it's not a. Yeah. Know. But again, a little bit weird because she is a child. No, but she's not a child. <laughs> I don't she's post puberty she's like she's a teenager like, i don't know <laughs> clara who is a teacher is like, mm, I'll, <laughs> i really fancy she's this this person who is the exact same age as my pupils how old Maisie williams was when this aired when, what year was this 2015 because I, I don't think she was that young i think she just looks young okay well but i'm she's... gonna go to todd's wiki in the meantime and find out how old she's meant to be because I, I definitely get the impression that she's meant to be much younger than she really is really? Maisie williams was born in 1997 so she'd have been 18 maximum here really oh my god yes vindicated vindicated thank you drew (laughs) i thought she was much older than that i thought she was one of these people that like just was quite because she's quite petite and has really like little features i thought she just played younger than she was but yeah she's only 23 oh okay then but she could have at least been 18 yeah suddenly my 16 or 17 doesn't sound too bad does it yeah, my 19 <laughs> a, a million miles away either. Yeah, it's only Leon who's way out. Yeah. Vindicated, my ass. Wait, how am I, how am I not vindicated? She's a maximum 18. We need to teach you arithmetic. Wait, she's, mean... did you, sorry, did you not just say that she was 18 at the time of filming this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but you keep saying she's a child. She's not, she's not a child. She you can vote. And She also... definitely cannot vote in this Viking village, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> time you were like well I, I feel like it's sort of understood that before like even like the 1950s the concept of a teenager didn't exist so you were a child and then you were an adult and there was there wasn't a period of adolescence so you're a child until you're about 12 and then you're an adult so she's like six years into being an adult that's practically like ancient yeah but i mean by that rationale if you go to certain communities in even present day then it's like oh yeah but this person is considered an adult because she She's eleven or twelve. You can you can treat her as one. It, on Todd's Wikia, she is referred to as a Viking girl. Yeah, but in the ti- the title is a gir- like girl. So no, this is this is the Todd's Wikia page for a shielder. I've only just now realised how what the spelling is. A shielder uh, and yeah, Viking girl. Anyway, it doesn't matter. My perception of her was as as in of the character was of someone who is much younger than the actress. Okay. So in my mind, I feel somewhat vindicated because I think that this 18-year-old is portraying someone who is much younger than 18. <laughs> I mean, that is often the case yeah. in uh, in these sorts of dramas, but it's not necessarily the case. But we can we sure. can agree to interpret differently. Can we talk- I do agree that if Clara is a bit pervin on her, then yeah, maybe she's slightly too young for you, Clara, considering the age range of the your students that you're teaching as well. Yeah. So uh, she's thinking I could teach her a thing or two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen those muscles. <laughs> for sure how to use them. <laughs> 
Could you carve me one of your puppets, a shielder? The, <laughs> <laughs> the special pointy one. <laughs> Can we talk about a shielder's timeline and how it intersects with the doctors? There's a wonderful line in this episode, which is premonition is just remembering in the wrong direction. I really oh, like that. That is such a Moffaty, Matheson-y line. You get loads of lines like that in this yeah. episode. Lovely line, beautiful line. But what does that mean exactly? Because Capaldi doesn't... Is he, as a Time Lord, able to remember, quote-unquote, remember things that haven't happened to him yet? Just because he's going to meet someone else in the future, does that mean that he... Rem- like, it seems weird to me. We haven't encountered that before on Doctor Who. I think I sort of took it as like a weird sort of deja vu thing where someone feels incredibly familiar. It's not a memory of them. He doesn't know her. But if your timelines cross enough in the future, maybe... It trickles down somehow so that you can... Yeah, Yeah, but yeah, I don't know if I buy it though. He exists in all of time and space at the same time, basically. You go to any time period, the Doctor is there. And so there is enough points that they've met that there's this like echo of a thought of a just... you can have a connection with a person without having met them. By that know. rationale, should he not know everything about River Song? No, because he doesn't. Again, he's had this like connection with River Song instantly. It doesn't mean that they he knows their history and he knows. He doesn't everything. have a connection with her beyond. Ooh, hello. The, the first time that that they meet when <laughs> when Tennant meets her, it, he's visibly shocked when he finds out who she is. But then that's a very different scenario because she knows who he is. Whereas in this case, they don't know each other. They haven't met before, but both of them have this like sense of like you will be important in does she future. have the same sense of the doctor do you think because i don't she's, think so i think the doctor has that of her with him either they're both looking directly at each other if if anyone i would be looking at clara she's in a bright orange space suit like the yeah. doctor looks more <laughs> in the scenario that's so but true she order and the doctor don't break eye contact like they it feels like they have a moment and clara's an onlooker going what the heck does happen do you know her yeah you guys are missing a far better example than River Song okay. for a premonition. Oh, and she's it. right in front of you. You've even mentioned her like mere seconds ago. Is it Clara? It's Clara. She's throughout every Doctor's timeline like since the beginning of the show pre-retcon. Exactly. Yes. Oh, yes, that's true. But again, the first time the Doctor meets Clara, well, the first time he doesn't see her because she's the voice in the Dalek. The second time, he's, there's already this intrigue because he has met her once before. He know, like he's he becomes obsessed with her really, really quickly. Like there's a mystery there that he needs to solve. It only takes there being two of someone to be quite intriguing. You don't have to meet eight or nine of them before the Doctor <laughs> thinks, "Hey, you know what? Something funny here." <laughs> No, because the first the first time he sees Clara, he had like I feel like this he has a connection with Clara in the episode because it's where the Christmas one. I mean, Victoria nanny, isn't she? And he bumps into her in a street, and I feel like he has a connection with her. And we're sat there going, "Oh my god, it's that woman from the Dalek episode." Yeah, but he doesn't know because he never saw her face. But she said, "This is the snowman, isn't it?" Yeah, she drops a line about something that is a callback to the Dalek. Episode. But even, I feel like even be- 
before he's put it together, he's more intrigued by her than he is with most other women that he bumps into in an alleyway. I think even in the show that invented Vord hiding, it's too much to expect <laughs> that the Doctor has never noticed Clara throughout his many lifetimes. Yeah. Hiding behind a corner when, when she thinks she can't be seen or out of the corner of his eye. I mean, I, I like the premonition idea. It doesn't stand up throughout all of Who to this point, but I, I like it enough to give it a pass. Yeah, me yeah. too. I'm not criticizing it as such, but I don't really get it, is the thing. Well, mm. it's, it's the significance. I mean, you can dimly remember significant events from your very early life. It, it's going to be a much fainter echo passing backwards through time because that's not the way these things usually go. I am completely fine with this. But I would be more understanding of it if the next time we meet Maisie Williams, uh, me, or the last time that we meet me, she makes a reference to a prior incarnation of the Doctor. She goes, yeah, well, I mean, uh, oh, here you are again. I mean, I now I know that you've had many faces. And then we get that, okay, so she's met him earlier in his timeline, and that then makes sense for this first time that he encounters her as Capaldi. It's like, oh, right, because maybe he does remember having been Pertwee or something one and bumped into her in the future what that's remembering in the right direction yeah i don't think that's what it's trying to do at all i feel like we have three different theories about this but for some reason (laughs) (laughs) those three theories they intersect (laughs) and at certain points they seem to match up almost it would be better your way because what is what is the likelihood that like she's obviously she can't time travel i don't think can she she just is immortal yeah exactly she's a highlander onwards indefinitely yeah but doctor is hopping about all over the time and place (laughs) and the amount amount of times that he bumps into her as capaldi would he not have bumped into her as a a previous incarnation no you're just describing really unmemorable river song aren't you (laughs) (laughs) River Song, but less perky. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it makes no sense that he wouldn't have already known that. Maybe they sh- it shouldn't have been about a premonition. It should have been, I don't know. It's a great line, though. Yeah, yeah. it is a line. And you've got so many lines. Jamie Matheson and Stephen Moffat are perfectly synergistic for each other. You've got God is the cattle's name for farmer. Heaven is the gilded door of the abattoir. And I made a note, I wouldn't be surprised if Moffat had the questions, what is God and what is heaven on the writer's application form at this point? Whoever gives me the best answers gets a writing credit on the show. Winning is all about looking happier than the other guy. Immortality isn't living forever. It's everybody else dying. Dying is an ability. I mean, this is a definite tool that these guys guys are staring at a bit of paper what can i describe a as oh b brilliant there's also a little bit of anti-deism from moffat's in oh, you don't say gods never actually show up that felt i, I that's the I mean, only one i made a note i was like oh wow yeah rare. that's a moth yeah when people do people do crop up from time to time and claim to be the like second coming of jesus Nobody believes them. Like we, we yeah, Doc's one of them. They don't usually appear on a cloud. <laughs> no, true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is precisely how he is said to be coming back. Chariots oh, of really? fire and all that. I think. Oh really? Uh, I really should check my Bible, but I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's another. I have one right here. Oh wow! Holy moly! Stretch away from my Bible. This should be a video podcast. <laughs> Okay, while he's looking that up, I'm going to point out something else that I really, really liked about this. That we finally get some closure on why Capaldi is played by Capaldi. Oh, yeah. 
I I like I think I liked that the little callback. I think it went on for slightly too long. Oh, you think? No, I think it went on for exactly the right length of time. I think so yeah. too. And I mean, it, I, okay, I don't really you like to... too much Donna. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I was just about to say I don't like being <laughs> on the record when I say this, but when Donna. <laughs> and Tennant showed up on yeah. screen. Freaking goosebumps. Do you know, that cl- little clip of Donna, actually, it was like tears streaming it's down like, her face. Wow, she could I act. Like, I know. Like, oh my God, I think I missed this when I watched her the first time around. She acts a little heart out in that scene. Wouldn't it have been... <laughs> okay, here's what I want. I want a, an alternate version of this episode where the callback to Donna is just her going, Anne Murray. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'm really pleased that Donna Noble is revealed to be the key to the Doctor's emotional growth across multiple regenerations. Forget your stupid cue cards, Clara, as if that's ever going to change him. Just, Doctor, remember the very best of your former friends, clearly the one that Jamie Matheson and Stephen Moffat both adore and wish they'd been able to write for. I like that you think so, but I would say that weirdly Capaldi is his own key. Like, he, the reflection of his face that's the you're absolutely right she has the line just save one person but the it's that he and yeah i mean he chose to save not himself but he he reaches out to capaldi (laughs) to i can't remember what his name was the character was it caecilius oh maybe caecilius estin horta but the (laughs) yeah but anyway it doesn't matter wowee what a scene Mm. and i love it when it ties back to prior doctor who that i mean it's it's just far back enough for us to not have thought about it for a long time it It doesn't even though we we see capaldi quote-unquote every week at this point we're not thinking of capaldi in his prior appearance on doctor who before being cast as the doctor that's that's like an episode that i hadn't forgotten about it but that's definitely not a, a at the front of my mind as I'm but watching these I, episodes. I even think like the first Capaldi as the Doctor episode that feels so long ago now. And it the, does, the doesn't doctor, it? Like Capaldi has changed so much since that first episode. He's really aged. Do you think? His yeah. hair is incredible, oh. though. Wow. Yeah, his hair fantastic. He's, he, uh, I think he's uh, she, Shooting oh. a series and a half of Doctor Who has added two lines to that forehead. running <laughs> involved. It's not a pretty aged body. But I really, really, really loved our first meeting of Capaldi, and he's in the alleyway with the homeless man in the mirror, and this, like, who frowned this face. It's, like, it's such a strong line. And then there is this thing about him having seen the face before. And at that point, it's a bit like, are you just trying to fill in the gaps because we know that, like, Capaldi was in Doctor Who before, and it's just trying to make, like, fudge it a little bit so it's okay. And, and if you know, even if you recognize the actor, it's fine. I can reuse a face. And then to give it more meaning now, I feel like it doesn't add anything to the Pfizer Pompeii episode, but it makes the beginning of Capaldi's run feel all the more strong. Yeah, it adds another level of meaning to it. Yeah, I, that's something. I just I feel like I could done I could have done without the whole Pfizer Do- Pompeii stuff. Like what? No. Wait, wait. Do you not? No, you need crucial. You absolutely need to see Capaldi as Caecilius or whatever. You could probably do without the Donna scene. Yeah, but you yeah. need to see no. him. No, I, stop I, it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
don't 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 get me wrong, Drew. I, I'm I'm glad that we got to see do- the Donna scene as well. But the the crucial scene is him remembering that someone else had that face at some point. Yeah, is when he looks into the water and he sees Kaikilia staring up at him. He doesn't see Donna. He sees if he looked into the water and he saw Donna staring up at him, he would have just gone like, "Yeah, I'm out of here, guys." <laughs> I'm getting really weird right now. Out of the fires of Pompeii. It was Tennant saying, much like Capaldi says at the beginning of this episode, time is fixed, I must tread softly, I can't create ripples and t- that will turn into tidal waves. And Donna's saying, well, could you not figure it out? Could you not put some extra effort in and just save one person, like one family? And that is precisely what Clara gets him to do here. And he... He, in doing that, he remembers that he is the Doctor, that, that they save an extra person and he puts the extra effort in. Without that, the analogy is just flat. Yeah, three opinions intersecting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Drew. I do... Donna was good. I really liked that little scene with Donna, actually. She was fine. Yeah, Drew, just (laughs) don't stare a gift horse in the mouth. You just had both Marie and me on the record saying that we enjoyed that scene. I know, I know, but but five (laughs) seconds go by and you're like, you know, it would have been better without Donna, then I'd have enjoyed it. I take it back. It was perfect scene. <laughs> the clip that really got me was the clip of Tennant reaching out, though. That was the one. Oh, whoa. Holy moly. Bumps, stop goosing. This would change Capaldi's doctor going forwards, that he will be more emotionally connected to. We've seen him so cut off from people, like the Christmas episode where they all had the face hookers on, and he's just like, ah, just leave them. They're all dead anyway. And he's so, like, and he's just been consistently cold. Do you think that this is a pivotal moment in his time as Doctor? I don't know, because by the end of the episode, he's already realised his mistake, and he's mm. wondering whether he should dial it back again. It perhaps yeah. just opens out a bit more flexibility. Like, one week he could be one way because someone appeals to this side of his nature, rather than him being unrelentingly grim and callous. <laughs> I feel like he has before, though. I think it depends a lot whether he likes you or not. He's very cold to people that he just doesn't care about, and then he and then he cares a lot about other people. A couple of episodes, he was being handed cue cards by Clara. <laughs> True. Okay. Massive leap forwards. This guy yeah. is making what psychologists would deem a breakthrough. Like, <laughs> this is... <laughs> he is breaking new ground. Working? Sorry? <laughs> the cue cards are working, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I think we need to bear this in mind going forward with Capaldi. Let's see if this actually happens. It's a good point to to look at it. I've got another question for you guys. I feel like we've had a conversation at some point about, or in which we said, wait, didn't the same thing happen with Donna? Didn't Donna also ask the doctor to save just one person? Has something like that happened? Or am I misremembering? Has has not something like that happened since then as well? Since Donna did it. Yeah. Is there not some other time where someone, I, I feel like maybe even Clara, not necessarily saying, oh, just save one person, but where Clara just goes like, no, it is imperative that you try your best, that you try to help people. Don't just bail on them. I mean, Clara even says so in this episode, frankly. What, a good death is the only thing that you... Is that good enough? 
you know, that mm. whole thing. I feel like we've had a similar conversation at some point since that Donna moment on Who Back When. I feel like it's probably it's probably come up a fair amount because I feel like that's quite often is the sort of the companion's role is to get him to be more compassionate. I just, I can't put my finger on any examples. It's not Kill the Moon, is it? I was just thinking that it might be. It might be Kill the Moon. The only other example I can think of, but that it doesn't really count is Into the Dalek when he lets the one dude die. Like, here, eat this tracer and then die. Yeah, no, it's not a good good mm. analogy. Yeah, sorry. Maybe I'm misremembering. That's Capaldi, it's absolute worst. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the opposite. <laughs> There is often a tension over the exact nature of the rules in the way you've described. I just wanted to bring up that last week we had the Doctor taking exception to the Fisher King yeah. meddling with the rules of life and death and basically saying, I'm going to destroy you because that's something you just don't do, chummy. You're so right. And here he is railing against, well, seemingly whoever's in charge of the universe, whether that's God, Stephen Moffat or a poking over Toby Whithouse I don't know it's a bit weird that Capaldi is perhaps yelling at the writer of the episode for <laughs> making things the way they are but maybe there's maybe that's just Capaldi going like hey I'm the only space-time hypocrite that's allowed to be in on this show <laughs> yeah so yeah what do we think about that oh yeah that's a super good point as well does the doctor kind of embody a philosophy of or an outlook of do as i say don't do as i do absolutely that's what i was gonna say is i think it's different when he's in charge like he he can't make the wrong decision he's happy with whatever he decides to do but he just doesn't like it when other people try and mess with the laws of time yeah Yeah. because he thinks that everyone else in the universe is basically an idiot exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) maybe he hasn't made the uh, amazing breakthrough we'd perhaps diagnosed This is a very big tangent, but that was the thing that right in the beginning, maybe the whole way through, he was very disparaging from the Vikings and and how stupid they all were. I was like, I don't know if like usually when you come across like ancient civilizations, he's all like, oh look how like look how much they achieved for their time. They didn't have this technology, but they still had blah blah blah. And he's normally quite respectful of yeah. But but the last time he encountered Vikings, they were not great. Oh really? I mean. yeah, I mean they're they're just they were just invading. They were just uh, yeah. there to cause havoc. Yeah, you think that's it? You think because they're violent, they're a violent race. He thinks that they're just out to murder and pillage people, and therefore doesn't give them any credit for any like advancements. Might be, yeah. I didn't think the Doctor was particularly cruel or scornful in this episode. I thought that much of the time he was just giving them some real talk. Like you Vikings get the visceral nature of life and death, right? If you stay you die. If you run into the woods, you'll be fine. And you'll pity me, but I'll mourn you. And I'll get to do that for a lot longer, right? You get me? I liked that interchange at least as it went down with him and a shielder. Yeah. I like that scene. I like the line about the pity versus mourning was a very good line. Yeah, I mean, what's the point of sugarcoating stuff for a Viking? (laughs) Please can we start making these (laughs) t-shirts? <laughs> so I can't remember what it was now, but in the in the shutter review, Jim said something. <laughs> I was like, "Holy moly, that needs to be your T-shirt!" And I I had this 
image of we all have our own like who back when t-shirts <laughs> for sale as merch this is like our face yeah, and this is underneath just uh, <laughs> a quote of ours that just completely slates whatever it is that we're talking about <laughs> who do you imagine is gonna buy these t-shirts hey every now and then i get a, a an email saying hey someone just bought something with the who back when logo on it oh great thanks that's that's really good news uh, by the way podcast lamp please keep doing it i mean we get maybe two pence per sale <laughs> so <laughs> the hourly rate is not high <laughs> no. <laughs> did you put the logo on those masks yet like i told you to no oh that's such a... oh wait hang on i'm making a note of that right now because that needs to happen uh, podcast land i'm gonna make this happen and we'll announce it on on twitter and facebook and, and probably on the podcast as well there will definitely be anti-coronavirus masks with the Hubak Wen logo on them. I want to wear one. I might go on. <laughs> okay, so I've got another thing from the last double feature which gets picked up on here badly. Oh, mm. alright. Be- because do you remember we had a big talk about the Sword of Orion and there were three stars in a row Yep. and... That was the uh, justification for the coordinates leading the Fisher King's race directly to Earth without question. Definitely nowhere else. Here, (laughs) the doctor asked Clara, can you see two stars and a nebula, which would put her in half of a galaxy at some point within a window of a few million years until the nebula dispersed or the stars went out. And he's right there. I mean, it's a very specific nebula. It's a certain shape. It's got a green tail. It's bet- one of the stars is flashing. I think. I don't know. Yeah, but he it's doesn't know from which angle she's viewing these things. <laughs> oh, do you know how many light years that thing is visible from? There is a tracker inside her suit, and it is that tracker will pop up on his space-time radar within a certain, like within a certain radius. So all he has to do is, okay, wait. So hang on. You can see that. If you can see that, that means that you are within however well you know you're you're within exactly and then he picks up the signal he doesn't even have to take time into account because he knows when she is he doesn't know where she is Oh, you think they're in the same time period? He just needs to know the. Well, he knows. He knows where, where he, left, he left her. Doesn't the doctor also say to himself with an impish grin, "I wonder when that was." Oh. See, See I think you're being extremely generous. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe this, this and all other uh, freakish coincidences can just be explained by the TARDIS took him there. Like the TARDIS likes Clara now. Why wouldn't it want to save her? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and also, we do give the Doctor a certain license here. Like the, the, the Doctor manages to do all... Ma- we don't uh, we don't question how he gets out of his shackles, for example. It's just... he. I mean, he no. literally says, magic. <laughs> yeah. And also, but also, when he's being very smug and like, like, see how I saved you just in the nick of time, I don't like to give him credit for that. I think the TARDIS saved her in the nick of time. I think he's being too smug and arrogant. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can also absolutely yeah, buy that. And the woman behind him is like, sure you did, love. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that much better. I did like the cold open, though, Mm. because it engenders a sort of sense of plenty. Usually the Doctor or his companion will toss off a remark about a much cooler sounding adventure they just had as a punchline. And we're like, oh, we're just too late. And now we're watching an inferior romp of the week. But here (laughs) we get to see one resolved and it feeds into the rest of the episode really nicely. Yeah, that's true. This is how they end up in this weird Viking alien thing is because he just needed to 
step out to wipe his shoe for a second. Well, it's it's not that. It's because with the Velocians, he has drawn the line around his responsibility to them, being like, I gave them one extra day, yeah. and they can figure it out from here. And if they don't run, for instance, like mm. the Vikings should run, then yeah. eh, I'm fine about it. Whereas Ah, and then the Vikings actually do have a day. Yeah. But he that, stays around this time. That is really good. I had not picked that up. That's uh, really, really good. Yeah. The only problem is, is that he then doesn't go back at the end of the episode <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, to the save them. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey, so I, I picked up this extra chip. <laughs> hands it to them. And Clara looks like, I thought, it's seri- seriously still not for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you're right if he'd have if he'd have actually learned anything from this episode and changed his ways he would have said okay let's go back yeah i've got a lot of history to rewrite Clark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the guy who traveled back in time and saved davros let's just think about that for a second <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna spend twice the lifetime of the universe fixing all the shit i fucked up <laughs> during this first run <laughs> We're going to need this medical chip. <laughs> yeah. So, Leon, about 20 minutes ago, you were about to lead on to something. Massive tangent. Oh. <laughs> well picked up uh, yeah I just wanted to say that there's one segment here that I also really enjoyed for A just the trope value but also B the comedic value of it and that's the classic training sequence trope that we get in this you think that it's going to lead into the classic montage of oh they're all standing in a row and they're they're throwing axes and everyone's missing and then after a while maybe one of them hits and and then after a while blah 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 but then it leads into this hilarious clip of all right, cool no, we're, you're ready. Real swords. Hard cut to the village is on fire. <laughs> if the village being on fire effects hadn't been so poor, I would have really liked that. Yeah, you're oh. right. The smoke looks mega composited. It looks very, very fake, uh, and the and the flames. But there's in particular there's a the smoke billowing right in the center of the frame. <laughs> Yeah, just over the doctor's shoulder. Exactly, exactly. And it looks it's mega fake. But I'm fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. I thought the comedic value yeah. of it more than it's made up for it. It's a very kitsch scene, so it doesn't need a massive expensive CGI, I think. It just needs to... Yeah, exactly, because we have that Maisie Williams 360-degree pan to look forward to, so it's exactly. it's, it's all going to be worth it. <laughs> it's worth it in the end, exactly. Also, Chris- in a real Viking village, you can't just burn a real Viking village down. You've got to CGI that bit. Yeah, I hear that those uh, all the extras were actual Vikings. They made an effort to just ask the locals to be extras. <laughs> I yeah, that's why so few of them have lines, because most of them oh. didn't know English. Yeah, or could read the script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they weren't going to rewrite the script in Rune. <laughs> in Rune. <laughs> Do you know who I thought was going to be a bigger character? When Clara and Ashiorda get zapped up and the doctor's like, I've just lost someone important. And then there's a man who turns to him and goes, I've lost someone important too. And they have a moment. Yeah, that's and Chuckles. He was, wasn't he going to be really crucial? And then he's just... He's Ashiorda's dad. He reappears constantly. Wait, Chuckles is Ashiorda's dad? I thought uh, uh, Lofty was Ashiorda's dad. No, Lofty's the blacksmith with the baby. Oh, Lofty you're is right. Viking Rory. Sorry, Lofty's- you're totally <gasps> he is Viking Rory, absolutely. Oh um, my goodness. <laughs> I just thought <laughs> well, didn't you clock that one? He was like, I'm the blacksmith, actually. <laughs> 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 or, 
thought something like, I'm also the blacksmith. <laughs> Either way. He was great. I really warmed to Lofty. No, I just thought Ashilda's dad and Capaldi would like team up and he would be more important rather than just being a chuckles uh, one. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Okay. okay. Can I throw in a soundbite? 32 minutes in, we have this nugget. How's it coming? Reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. But that means something. It sounds great. Mm. I was going to ask if you liked that line. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did. Normally, we don't get the full line. Normally, it's just like reverse the polarity and blah, blah, blah. Here we got the whole thing. And then doesn't he say something like, oh, it sounds really impressive. Like, he doesn't really know what it's doing. It just... Oh, does he? Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it really means, but sounds great. Oh, I see. No, I I didn't. (laughs) The second that happened, I just made a note of the timestamp and started typing and stopped, like, just completely ignored the television. Just like, oh, Uh, this is great. You missed the best bit, Leon. (laughs) Oh, I totally missed that. I'm so sorry. All you could hear was reverberating around your head. Squee! (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) The sound of my zipper. (laughs) (laughs) And the thump on the the floor. He's sat on himself, Marie. (laughs) That one trout's leg at all time. See, Leon, I knew that you would like that line. And so the fact that I don't like that line doesn't really make that much of a difference. Or at least the the fact that they are (laughs) using that line, deploying it with such self-awareness. Because I just know that half, if not much more, of the fan base will like it. So, yeah, sure, whatever. I will listen back to that now, given that I missed the second half of it. But I think I like it even more now, given what you've just told me. Yeah, I think if it had just done, oh, reverse the polarity, I would have kind of rolled my eyes and gone, oh, again. But I like the self-awareness of it. And then it it kind of, it makes me think now every time in the future he uses it, it doesn't mean shit. He's just saying it (laughs) so that whoever's around him is like, oh, yeah, that sounds really... Uh, professional I must know yeah. what he's talking about most of the time he says anything technical it's just because he thinks the people around him are total idiots <laughs> like, exactly. I'll just say something wibbly and wobbly I'll, <laughs> I'll refer to the internet and Java <laughs> everyone will be really impressed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Marie, what did Jim think about the line? You guys uh, that left are just farmers, fishermen. Fishermen and web developers. Oh, no, web designers. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I believe Jim enjoyed that line. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, okay. I enjoyed it. I, I like to think that he just it doesn't know what time period. It's just like everything's... These are like old-fashioned people and like web designers, very old-fashioned. And where he's... The future, we don't Basically blacksmiths. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's all in the cloud in the future, in the galactic hub. You don't need web design. <laughs> Just zap straight into your eyeballs. <laughs> I have a question. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. So right at the end, when we've done the whole Ashilda thing and she's going to be immortal and blah, 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 the doctor says that this now makes her a hybrid. Uh, like, what? a hybrid what? Hybrids, human and what were they called? Maya, Maya technology, or Maya technology anyway. But is the Maya technology like are the Maya immortal? If they have this technology that can repair you forever, why aren't they immortal? Oh, that's Marie, a that's... bloody good question. Oh <laughs> no, that's I am so angry right now. That is an episode undoing question right there. Oh, oh wow! No. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what? I was prepared to give this something in the fours. <laughs> <laughs> Just delete the last two minutes. We don't need this. What, 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 no, you're so right. 
Why does uh, One-Eyed Willie need to chuck his bone-up juice when he's already immortal? Exactly. Yeah, and why on earth would they be afraid all the time? Yeah, they would be the universe's fiercest warriors because you could never kill them. They'd just keep repairing themselves. Why is this chip just in the helmet and hasn't been absorbed by them? Like, why do they have the chip inside the helmet in case they get injured? Just, like, freaking use use it. it. Yeah. Oh, Marie. Well done. Oh, brava. (laughs) Don't be sorry. That is incredible. Takes me back to when you ruined economy. I ruined the economy. Yeah, in uh, what was it called? The Rings of Akaten. Well, (laughs) Carson. Genius. It's literally the last thing I wrote. I was like, have I done my notes? Oh, wait, I just this one little thing. What is this? Okay, hang on. Can I make a correction to what I said before? I've just Googled it. Troughton mm. did not have a 200-year diary. He had a 500-year diary. I just want to say that so that Podcast Land doesn't have to send me emails. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and before the Pope sends me emails... I've found that actually they talk in Luke 21:27 about the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So it's not Revelation, it's Luke. And there aren't chariots of fire, that's to do with Elijah. Oh, shame. <laughs> I know so little about this, I can't even ask a follow-up question. <laughs> well, shall we rate this then? Let's okay. do that. <laughs> <laughs> And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Welcome to my review. (laughs) Take a seat. (laughs) The girl who died. What a fantastic episode, I think. I think. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys enjoyed it more. And I think when we start talking about it, I got you. You got me all excited and hyped up. And I think um, I think I've enjoyed it more in a group setting. I was ready to come here and go. I liked the premise, but there were some really naff moments. And now I think that I liked it all, including the naff moments, and it was great. A thing that I did like that we haven't talked about was well, we kind of did, but. When um, a shielder dies, we haven't spent very long talking about when a shielder dies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> kind of a pivotal the moment. The titular the- moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but actually, not when she dies, before that, when she puts the helmet on and there's this like mega close up of her face and she's going to, like, it's all it all goes red and it's like, okay, a shielder's going to save the day. There's this line about telling them a story. And I genuinely thought she was going to tell them the story of how I love the hills and the water and the mountains and the people and this is my home and blah 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 and I thought love was going to save the day and she was going to give them empathy and make them love the town and then they couldn't kill her uh, well kill them all and I was ready to give it like a two point something but then they didn't do that they did a different thing and it was really cool and I liked it so yeah I like the setup with Ashilda and it's going to be another immortal. And I like that the doctor so casually says like, oh yeah, I'll see her again. It's a nice little setup because we don't know if she's going back. At this point, Maisie Williams is like a fairly big star. She's done the Game of Thrones things. Like normally when you get someone in like that, it's just a one-off. You don't expect them to become a recurring character. So it's a nice little teaser that there might be something more to come. And I like the doctor showing a bit of empathy and the flashback to Capaldi's first episode ever and then his first 
episode is the Doctor and the linking of the three. It's nice to see a little bit of growth for him. I do like. I just. I don't think I'm fully convinced that Ashilda was the one. Like, if he was going to save anyone, haven't we come across characters that are more deserving so far, or won't we come across characters in the future? Like, it just feels like he's pulled this out of the bag for no real reason, other than they had a flashback to him as like where his face came from, and it kind of guilt tripped him into doing it. I don't know. I just. I don't know about that. But I thoroughly enjoyed it and excited to see what comes next. It's a two being continued episode. It's not is it a two parter or is it just a This is totally a two parter. But she's going to come back. It's not the same setup in the next one, but... It's not the same setup, but it ends with a to-be-continued. Exactly, yeah. yeah. This is totally a two-parter. But I really, really like... Okay, if we are calling it a two-parter, then it's not a two-parter where every other two-parter we've ever seen ends with Clara or the Doctor or someone in mortal danger. They're about to die, or they've already died, as far as we've seen, or they're in a trap where you can't possibly... There's no imaginable escape. And then the next episode, they... Starts with a... Square Exactly. <laughs> Within the- <laughs> and so it's really, really intriguing to see a story that is wrapped up. It's concluded. We've beat the enemy. We've given this woman an immortal pill and we're leaving. And so you don't know, like, what is part two? It could be anything. It could be next year. It could be a thousand years in the future. Like, it's, I think that's a really intriguing thing to do. So I'm super excited to see what comes next. Great acting by everyone, as usual. Some great effects, some not so great effects, but generally just generally a really fun episode that I really enjoyed watching and a really interesting premise so I'm gonna give it a 3.5 3.5 you say okay yeah. all right I do <laughs> I'm gonna make a note of that right. 3.5 <laughs> I can go next I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, like absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm incredibly pleasantly surprised because I was prepared to dislike it because of uh, a shielder having this rather inaccurate uh, recollection of that character. So, so yeah, I was very happily surprised that this had a, a great setup, a good first act, second act, third act. Doc was great in it. A shielder was fine. Sim- you know, I could sympathize with her. Clara was, I thought at times, absolutely brilliant. The only time that what she did did not resonate with me on any level was that anti-shackle moment where it's oh, you're an idiot. Why you, this has been written in to solve a problem. The problem being, how do we get Clara on the spaceship? Oh, just write this one thing in that makes no sense and is out of character. Aside from that, I thought she was great and she had some fantastic moments. Doc has a very interesting relationship with a shielder as well. There's, we didn't talk about this, but there's that moment where he puts his hand on her hand as she's putting on the mask I think like he sort of strokes her finger in a in a weird way it's almost like in a paternal way production values mostly great we've already talked about the special effects that were not but the rest fantastic I think the costumes great the village I already said fantastic the alien design was awesome this gigantic helmet hiding a teeny tiny head (laughs) loved it and I mean they looked cool the and then they had this super weird nonsensical plot that I really enjoyed. I choose not to even question why the soldiers love going out to get their general fresh boner juice. Like, what's in it for them? But yeah, apparently they really love it. But what bugged me about them, sorry, I'm going to talk myself up and down because I still don't really know what I'm giving this. Leon, <laughs> what bugged you about them? <laughs> I'll tell you what bugged me about them <laughs> without the extra inflection on the on the bug there but 
they have introduced as the greatest, one of the greatest warrior races in the universe. They they didn't seem to be particularly good at waging war, for one. But secondly, they didn't seem particularly obsessed with it either. The automatic parallel for me is the Sontarans, who live to wage war. But these were just like, they, they live to wage one very simplistic conflict with easily beatable foes. Drew, you mentioned before that they're probably just cowards. I think that's spot on. Um, mm. The best thing about this episode, though, for me, is the Capaldi reveal. The, the His revelation. Why does he wear this face? Such an incredibly powerful moment in televisual history. Wow-wee. Holy moly. I'm almost getting goosebumps thinking about it now. I'm not really. Still, so <laughs> Such, such an impactful, emotive scenario for us to, to witness him going through. I, I loved that. And I even enjoyed the ending with this weird A-Team MacGyver Home Alone finale where they're kitting out the the one building we get to see properly <laughs> with weird <laughs> Home Alone traps everywhere, like these little booby traps. Loved it. I even enjoyed the Doctor's solution to that, even though that was maybe slightly on the revenge porn side of things, but like, yeah, hey, I filmed you. Yeah. I'm going to put this out on the <laughs> internet. Could have done without the Benny Hill music. But overall, I think maybe I'm staying where I was originally at. And I'm going to... Oh, <laughs> really? Shit. For the fifth time in a row? I'm surprised. No, I'm going. I, I'm, I'm taking it down a little bit. I had, I had originally thought something. Maybe like, I think maybe I was going to go as high as four point four for this because I really love the crap out of this episode. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it down to a four point two. Leon, Leon, I must. Well, I'm, I'm the only one left, but I must go next. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I had the village horn blowing job. Everyone else. <laughs> goes off to war while I'm left behind at home with all the ladies because <laughs> what I don't like killing people fine and I'm next to this honking great horn which if you're a very good girl I'll let you have a little blow on I go up there about once a day around mid-morning in winter when the days are short I have a peep up the valley and if there's nobody coming I just go straight back downstairs and start shagging <laughs> ultimately this is what led to the decline of the Vikings. Forget Christianity. While Ivor the Boneless is invading East Anglia, Andreas the Boning constantly is back home, stinking <laughs> up the gene pool. I love it. Is that that's the end of your review? Not <laughs> more. I may have to address an error I made in a previous episode. I believe I may have fainted over Fugitive of the Jadoon being a ballsy episode five. I may even have said, who goes all out in an episode five? Well, they do it here, and I think they do a sterling job. They reach back across doctors, multiple doctors. They go really deep into our protagonist's psyche and make a really bold choice that could have tidal knock-on effects rather than tinkering around the edges. We wonder where does the doctor go from here this really could change the direction of the series i think moffat and matheson as a duo combine excellently it feels like this was a partnership that really worked rather than a situation where the showrunner had to step in to avert what was quickly becoming a disaster but it's not all good the music isn't too great in this episode one of the musical cues at one point sounds like two one to the england and i'd like someone to have caught that <laughs> Glad you did. It's just before the uh, the doctor has his second baby translation scene, if you're interested. Then a shielder dies of heart failure, and Clara says, No pulse. Doctor, is she dead? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to 
Yes, yes. She's a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> just teach first aid, Leon. Yeah. Is there a chapter at CPR or anything? It's just. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Your finger on a pulse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm standing halfway across the room. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> and then her fake laughter about the Benny Hill video is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Clara obviously doesn't know who Benny Hill is. She's not old enough. To her, it's yeah. a Snapchat filter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there is so much that's good about this episode as well. It is packed. It is 45 minutes of non-stop. You have the booming weapon forges of the fire. That's not thunder. You have good Highlander echoes, plus points. And Capaldi just bosses it throughout. He dresses down the Vikings on multiple occasions. He does the slapstick thing at the beginning with the yo-yo that's brilliant. He delivers the speech about Mr. Meyer seeing the world through the eyes of a storyteller. And then there's another one about how he's so sick of losing. He'll lose any war you like, but he cares about losing people. And he runs and he runs and the pain follows him everywhere. And... Capaldi took me everywhere around all, the whole range of his emotions and his acting chops. So I was going to give this a 4.4. <gasps> but then Marie's final point about the Myers immortality. Oh my God. It's undeniable. So I took off 0.2. Oh my God. Yes. Here's my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> Could not believe when you said that. <laughs> Well, <clears throat> you've been outvoted, Marie. <laughs> I know you love a bit of slapstick, Drew. It's not, it's not for me. <laughs> I'm not the one who's saying you're wrong. But for you, we would both have been wrong. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I wonder what Podcast Land thinks of this. I wonder how many of them are wrong. <laughs> them. All your opinions are valid. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. First up, we have Eccleston is best. Hello, Eccleston is best. Hello, Eccleston is best. Eccleston is best begins. One of the weirdest Doctor Who two-parters ever. When I originally saw this season, I somehow missed this episode. What? But had seen the next one. As a result, I got a rather rare treat for me. An old episode of New Who I had not seen before. Fun times. And Eccleston's best launches into the Sontarans, uh, a.k.a. likes. First Sontaran, introduction of a new immortal. I can see the big finish, a shielded slash Jack slash Clara adventures from here. What a great actress to get to play a shielder. And is Sky Odin making a Monty Python reference? Hey, nice one. The Rube Goldberg machine for scaring the Maya was a little weird, but I liked it and it seemed to fit well with Doctor Who. Eccleston is best liked the cloud looking ship. And also thought it was great that we got the face of the M.O.W. Monster of the Week, even though it wasn't required. And final Sontaran, I like Doc's talk about ripples and tidal waves. But it can't all be Sontarans in Nicholson is best world. Unfortunately, there are also some book slaves. Why can these medikits make you immortal? And why hasn't anyone else thought of this? Oh, very good question. How long has this kidnap the warrior routine been going on? It seems like this isn't the first time, but then Sky Odin seems to take all the warriors. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, we, we, we touched upon this. 
next pig slave. Why can't Sky Odin extract the chemicals from animals or synthesize them himself? Why are the Maya called the most powerful? This seems like a tradition of Doctor Who. Whatever the monster of the week is, it has to be <laughs> the most dangerous, deadly warrior. This has been done with the Dalek, Cyberman, Scovox, Blitzer, <laughs> Raston warriors, Maya Sontarans, and even the Romans. Yeah, who are the Raston warriors? I don't know. Looking them up. Raston warrior sounds like a, a friendly, elderly Jamaican gentleman from down the road who's actually... <laughs> massive reggae star in the Caribbean don't even know about it anyway the Maya don't even seem particularly scary oh this is a classic who thing oh sorry 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 the rest and worry just to say that's from the five doctors this is classic who nice ref Mm, comprehensive Mm -mm. sorry Marie and Eccleston's best believes that the Maya are the worst henchmen since the robots from dinosaurs on a space (gasps) oh oh you would say that yes we were rubbish that week (laughs) But Eccleston is best gives this a rating, a very good rating, I would say, somewhat biased, of 4.1 Sky Odins. Wait till he hears about Marie's contention. Thank you very much, Eccleston is best. I agree. Yeah, me too. Next up we have Eddie Rock. Hi. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Rock! Time to rock another mini Viking style. After the complicated sci-fi of last time, this is a wonderfully silly and fun historical with lots of laughs and its share of smart, deep moments. Clara shows off how capable she is, while at the same time reinforcing how dangerously reckless she has become when she flat out ignores the Doctor and gets them captured. He once again points out to her what she's becoming and she brushes it off. He does. Oh, that's true. I missed that. They fed a lot into this. I mean, they did that so well that I didn't even notice. Mm. I mean, usually when a series arc is just shoehorned in, it sticks out a mile. Eddie Rock continues. The heartfelt moments later with the Doctor and a shielder are fantastic, and the big reveal behind the meaning of his face is uncovered after a a season and a half. (laughs) I absolutely love their reasoning behind it. The day-saving plan was fun, and exactly something you'd expect the Doctor to come up with. I felt this episode is a perfect display of everything the show is best at, whether it's comedy, intelligence, mystery, or emotional resonance, as well as a unique and formidable villain. The emotional journey with a shielder is great. She goes from charming youngster to obnoxious Viking to a heartwarming <laughs> dreamer who saves the day. In that last shot alone, her face conveys everything from the wonders of immortality to pitying her loneliness and maybe even a sense of danger from her. Hybrid? Question mark? Without a single word being spoken. Very impressive stuff. And Eddie gives this episode a well-deserved 4.5 out of 5 godlike yo-yos. Till next time, (laughs) rock on. Very nice, Eddie Rock. Thank you very much. Do you know what? You can follow Eddie on Twitter. What? How? He can be found at THE Eddie Rock. (laughs) But of course he can. (laughs) Nice one. Next up, we have Michael. Ridgeway. Ridgeway. And Michael Michael. starts us off. Oh, hello, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Michael starts. Oh, hello, Michael. Oh, hello, Michael. He knows. He knows. So big. My goodness. Michael starts us off with some like. The Vikings smiting the sonic glasses. Hurrah! (laughs) 
<laughs> Next like. Fake Odin in the clouds, surely an homage to God in Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Question mark. <laughs> no question mark. <laughs> There's one with it. Michael also <laughs> likes the Doctor's nicknames for the Vikings. Oh, yeah. Michael admires some nice writing, particularly the whole, I applaud your courage, but I deplore your stupidity, and I will mourn your deaths. As well as Clara's, that looks rubbish. And I personally really liked (laughs) Ashilda's cheery face, even as she was holding onto the rope and they were slagging it off. I just really liked the little... A little glimpse of her just beaming away. I thought that was really charming. <laughs> Michael, however, says Maisie Williams is a great actor as always, but I guess not in the most interesting of roles here. Here's hoping she becomes villainy in the next episodes. Ooh. And Michael follows up with some... Boofs. A cheapy off-screen voyage to Norway. Boo. Where's my CGI longboat? Next. Boof. Forgettable villains. We'll meet again. I doubt it. Michael's no physicist, but there's a shit ton of metal stuff in that room. <laughs> Why is only the alien armor magnetized? <laughs> oh, that's so Excellent true. Point, Michael. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> Swords and belt buckles just flying everywhere. <laughs> Michael also has a beef with the spoilers title. Aha. Uh-huh. But then he follows it up with some trivia. namely we've had vikings at least twice Ooh, twice before in classic who namely in carry on time meddling (laughs) and the seventh doctors amazing the curse of fenric michael michael finishes with a summary doctor who does seven samurai has its moments and is better than the mandalorian's effort which probably had 1.5 billion dollars more budget (laughs) agreed by the way (laughs) and he gives us a rating of 2.7 out of five of the finest viking warriors poked into liquid testosterone for a tasty maya treat yeah 2.7. Oh, Michael, not so big. Yeah. You have more likes than beefs. Oh, well, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Do you know what? He's comparing it to the Curse of Fenric. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Where they did have a CGI longboat. Uh, (laughs) Oh. A 1980s CGI longboat. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Michael. I believe people can follow Michael on Twitter. It's the next best thing to being Michael. He can be found at bad... Underscore. Movie... Underscore... <laughs> club. Thanks, Michael. Love you, Michael. Oh, big. Whoop, whoop. oh my goodness, that's never going to fit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for Listener Minis. What have we got up next time? That is an excellent question. Next time we've got a Classic Who episode with The Leisure Hive. Ooh. Following that, we've got a new Who episode, The Woman Who Lived. Ooh. Which would be closely followed by an audio Who, Prisoner of the Sun. Possibly closely followed, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it from us for another week. In the meantime, if you want to catch more thoughts and musings, you can follow some of us on Twitter. Mm -hmm. They would be you there in the green. Oh, yes. That's me, at Drew Beckwin. Excellent branding. And uh, you there in the black. Oh, 
still at Ponkin. Well, I'll figure it out one of these days. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow me for some visual treats on the Instagram. Mm, the gram. At Hamash and Jelly. Hamash and Jelly. <laughs> Get in my belly. <laughs> Marie, have you been posting pictures of your many Berlin photo shoots on your Instagram account? No. <laughs> oh, what have you been posting? Yeah, what can, what can we find on your gram? I mean, there was a bumblebee in my garden one oh. time. Oh, yeah. bumblebee. <laughs> was this a, a Berlin bumblebee? Uh, no, he flew over from Zurich. Oh, oh wow. It was a Swiss bee. <laughs> <laughs> It's been wonderful to see you all. Hey. You all. <laughs> Can't wait for the next one. Thanks so much for being such a wonderful audience. As always, see you next time. Rock on and be excellent to each other. Oh. <laughs> yeah, stay safe, everyone. Ciao. Bye-bye. Love you. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?